0: By flash and thunder fire, I'll survive. Then I'll defy the laws of nature and come out alive. I keep telling myself that today. It's been a rough day, but I'm here to talk queen because when all else fails, this makes me happy and this lifts me up. And yes, lyrics like that can do wonders for a horrible, no good, very bad day. What is that? Horrible, no good, very bad day. You guys, I just, that just hit me. What is that? Somebody tell me, please. I'm, I'm not in the mood to look it up right this second. <laughs> I'll do it after I'm done. But here we are. Dive number 21, track number 11 on Queen's album, Queen 2, released in 1974. We're still all Freddie Mercury compositions at this point because we are on the black side of the album and we are closing out the album Ladies and gentlemen, this is the one and only, the guy's first big hit in the UK, Seven Seas of Rye. This is one of my very favorite queen running songs. If I were to make a queen running playlist, this would probably be the first number. Along with March of the Black Queen before it and Funny How Love Is, That's This triad of songs is one of my very favorite things from Queen. It's it's why I love Queen 2 so much. This song is such a motivator. I mean, the verse that I just said the lyrics from at the beginning of this is one of my very favorite verses in any Queen song. Super motivating, incredibly electrifying, makes you feel like you can fly, all of those good things and more. This is jovial Freddie Mercury and Queen at their best. So let's talk about Seven Seas of Rye. This was a composition Freddie worked on for quite some time. Started in 1969 when he was in a band called Wreckage. And the topic is, of course, we are, yes, swooping in to dominate and rule over the mythical rye, which was Freddie's favorite fantasy land. It's a recurring theme In lots of Freddie's work, appearing in songs like Lily of the Valley, which we have not talked about yet, but also My Fairy King and The March of the Black Queen, of course. So this was a common theme for Freddie. We're in the land of Rye quite a bit. And yep, this is a very notable song because this progressive rock number was the first single that charted for the boys. And it was released in February, February 23rd of 74 to be exact. And it hit number 10 on the UK singles chart, a big deal. There's a very big reason too that it hit the chart, that it did so well. And it was just chance. It was pure luck that the guys had this opportunity that catapulted this song up the charts. What was it? Well, we're going to talk about that in a minute. This is 126 beats per minute, a very good tempo. We're going along pretty strongly, but not too fast. Makes it a little bit easier to sing this song as well. It's 4-4 time signature. We're not really doing much with the time here. Not a whole lot going on with the rhythms, although there is a lot of syncopation. And we're in three keys, D major, B flat major, and G major. All major, major fun there's something about major versus minor. If you're not familiar with the difference, a major chord is essentially the root note and the third note. The third note is a major third. And in a minor key, the third note is flatted. It's minor. so it gives it it gives it a spookier sound. It gives it a little bit more tension. It's mysterious. It's epic. it's moody. I love minor. I went out of my way to do a lot of minor on my last album myself. So there's certainly a mood building that comes with minor and major to me has always felt more happy. And that's very appropriate for Seven Seas of Rhyme. In this song, Freddie's magical piano and lyrics combine with Brian's rousing guitar to create one of the guy's most addicting pop-infused rock numbers both incredibly energizing and accessible. I wanna talk a little bit about, yes, the contributions from both Freddie and Brian here because here's the thing. Freddie wrote the lyrics, worked on a lot of the arrangement, but Brian contributed the middle eight. So what we really have here is a collaboration. But when they released this thing, Freddie claimed to be the songwriter because he wrote the lyrics. There was a little bit of tension here. Brian talks about this in multiple interviews and how this established this trend to release the singles as only one person as the sole songwriter. Now, what this meant was that person got the royalties. This was a big deal, especially for four young, headstrong, smart Guys who wrote and contributed very much equal parts to this band, this was an interesting take on how to do things from a business perspective. But this decision was made and it stuck for quite some time. But technically, this is a Freddie and a Brian collaboration when we're talking about the music. Brian even says, well, Freddie made this statement about being the sole songwriter and they kind of all just went, okay. (laughs) Like, all right then, I guess this is how it's going to be. And of course, from here on out, you have this competitiveness between all the guys to be main songwriters on a song. But what do you expect (laughs) with the four of them that were so talented? And of course, very deserving, every single one of them of the equal credits that they eventually decided to give each other but that's that's for a later time. This was the perfect first hit single because it showcases all the guy's talents and skills in a shorter length which is obviously ideal for a single. This is compared to things like other heavy hitters, you know, like Liar. The replay appeal here is massive. I could listen to this over and over and have done so whether I was running or in the car or not. It's just Really easy to go back and hit the replay button on this. Lots of quick shifting and seamless key changes and the variations of the drum riffs, the accented bass lines here, and the impressive guitar. It all meshes with this jovial piano, all thanks to Freddie, and creates this positive, motivating celebration of domination. It's very Queen-esque with these elements like bent up guitar harmonies and bass glissandos that add fabulous flair and drama to this wonderful, wonderful song from Freddie, AKA also from Brian. (laughs) It was performed 174 times as Queen and then 154 times with Queen and Adam Lambert. This is very interesting that they perform this almost as many times as sort of a revival track as the classic Queen lineup. It was mostly performed in 74 and 75 and then dropped after 76 before being added to the set list again in 84 during the works tour. And the band performed the song on the BBC's Top of the Pops in February 74. Let's talk about that performance. So this is the magical performance. This was on February 12th, I believe. Now, if you remember, this was released on February 23rd. Why? Because the guys went on the BBC to do Top of the Pops and do this after David Bowie decided to cancel his own performance. Wasn't ready. There was something up with that song. He just wasn't ready to do it. So the guys were like, heck yeah, we're going to do this. And subsequently, it became their first hit reached number 10 on the UK singles chart. And this was perfect timing because the guys had just returned from this awful visit to Australia. It didn't go well because they weren't well-known in Australia at the time. They, they were acting bigger than they were. And there were actually people in the audience who by all accounts really enjoyed their performance. But the MC at that performance kind of, sort of, ended up getting Queen done with their performance before they should have been, and essentially got them booed off so other Australian bands could keep playing. And the guys just, it did not go well. (laughs) This gig in Australia, the first one they had, did not go well. So they had just come back to the UK. And in fact, when they were there at the airport, they were met by hordes of confused press agents who thought that Her Majesty the Queen... (laughs) to be there. And you can actually find these pictures of them at the airport. And I got to say, they kind of do look a little bit defeated and drained. There's something about their expressions there where where, when you know the context that they had just come back from this, this performance that just did not go well in Australia. And obviously, the press that were there were not expecting the boys. There's this kind of just... Look about them where they all look a little bit just kind of worn out and just interesting backstory behind those pictures when you see them. Anyway, so when they were offered this last minute chance, this replacement slot on top of the pops, they absolutely jumped on it. They jumped at the opportunity. They premiered Seven Seas of Rye from their as yet unreleased second album, Queen Two. And yeah. They decided to release the single. And actually, I think it was February 21st, not the 12th. My apologies on that little transposing of numbers there. There's some interesting notes from the guys about that particular performance. Roger is super critical of that performance. The miming of it. The drums that went dunk when you hit them. Because everything was fake, right? It was all playback. And they were doing it in this different studio. And it just, it, it didn't have the same vibe because there was a strike going on. But Brian was ecstatic about being on the show because it was all happening, right? They were on top of the Pops, which was a very big deal. It wasn't their jive. Obviously it wasn't a live sound venue. They couldn't play their instruments, but I think Brian appreciated being there. So it's, it's interesting their different opinions about the fact that yes, they got to be on top of the Pops. But some of them were more enthusiastic about it than others, obviously. Now, this song live, any live performance that you listen to, and I actually just listened to the 76 Boston performance to refresh my brain about how it rolled and how the guys played. Freddie's playing of this live is really impressive. You know, it has that same commanding tone with the guys pouring out all this raucous energy, even live. But do we expect anything different at this point? Of course we don't. The guys are always on point live. John rocks this live. And not like the other guys don't, but John, ah, uh, his bass live, it's so fantastic. And in that guitar solo moment in the middle, we'll talk about this in more depth in a moment, Brian makes his guitar just sing out and echo all this reverb, all the more. But what's funny is that on the album, this song feels like the perfect length. It's a little bit shorter, a little bit more succinct, Than others, but live, it just feels too short. It it, it feels like it needs longer solos or something. The guys nailed their performance of this, of course, and it sounds fine, but it's one of those that I'd rather hear the polished studio version as opposed to the live performances. Though, I will say, Brian's guitar outros alongside Freddie's piano, they're Always fabulous here in the song live. John always adds just the right amount of bass fantasticness and all these rolling riffs and Raj just rounds out with the cymbals galore and drum rolls like crazy. These guys, they were so well rehearsed and and played so well together that it's almost like they could just kind of wing certain elements of the performance and they always trusted themselves and each other to do such a great job. Now, as far as what the boys had to say about this song, In a 77 radio interview, Freddie described this as a figment of his imagination, which of course is very fitting. This is about Rye. This is about his land of Rye, which he and his sister made up years prior. And I'm sure he had all these elaborate pictures and actions in his mind of what he would do if he ruled over this land of Rye. And Brian May in Q Magazine in March of 2008 said, about this song, quote, our first breakthrough made with the idea that if radio was going to play it, everything had to explode and it did work. (laughs) He knew it. Obviously they all knew it. This was a big hit in a lot of ways. It brought them to a new level. Some fun facts about this. I want to start off with this one because it surprised me (laughs) the most. It was one of those little known things that was very difficult to find In the Queen musical, We Will Rock You, which I've never seen, by the way. The Seven Seas of Rye is a place where the Bohemians are taken after they are brain-drained by Kashagi. Put that in your little, I learned today, today I learned, right? T-I-L. All right, so other fun facts. Yes, this was Queen's first top 10 hit, and supposedly... The success of the song convinced Freddie in particular to go all in full time with the band. Yes, even up to this point, album two, there was still some hesitation from at least Freddie, perhaps other guys in the band, whether or not this was worth doing and and putting aside all other ambitions, right? So here, this was the moment where they thought, wow, we could really build something on this. Another fun fact, the outro fades into the sing-along chorus, which is quoted from an English music hall-era summer hit called I Do Like to Be Beside the Seaside, which was composed by John A. Gloverkind in 1907 and first recorded by Mark Sheridan in 1909. Singing in this outro is entrepreneur Ken Testy and another guy, Pat McConnell, among the other guys, of course. And apparently everyone was quote unquote pissed at the time. <laughs> I often wonder that because when, when it fades out further and you hear them all singing this, this little song, you can definitely tell they were having a good time. Yes, I had that note about this song being solely credited to Freddie, but Brian contributed the middle eight section. My last little note, that lovely arpeggio intro that frolics through the song appears much later in another song by Queen, in a very magical, nostalgic way. I'm not going to get to that for a very long time, but keep that in mind because it's a very special feature. It's very brief, but it's there. And it's very important that it's there because of the context. We'll go into that later. I looked and looked and looked for critics, comments, criticism, praise, what have you. And I really couldn't find it here. It's surprising. I mean, it's one of Queen's long lost singles really it's it's one of those songs that even though it was their first single and it's notable for that reason it just there's not a whole lot about this the fans love this song and it was featured quite prominently in the film Bohemian Rhapsody it's the first song you hear as the guys go into the studio and start working and i want to point out that they had the vocals pan to the left and right on the on the forever and ever and ever vocals and it's actually not like that <laughs> In, this, in the song, I, I'm sure they just did that for fun for the film. But I just want to point that out, that that is not actually accurate as to how it, it plays, unless I'm missing the, soul, the stereo elements of, of the song. But I don't think that's the case. But yeah, critics, what I do find is if they say anything about this, even if it's pretty generic praise, it, they generally praised the diversity of the sound in this song. But yeah, there's not a whole lot else said about it. I want to talk about the details of this song because it's quite magical in its succinctness and it's fun. And it begins with arpeggios, sort of, kind of. Incredibly happy, motivating. We have a three three plus three plus three plus three plus three plus one 16th note pattern. It's very syncopated. With this, with this piano. And finding that 4-4 four, four rhythm is a bit tricky, but who cares with this gorgeousness? It's fantastic. We get the crash with Raj, John, Brian, all in unison with cymbals, dominating bass, and commanding guitar, respectively. Then we shift up a fourth with rising cymbals and that delightful bent-up guitar harmony. That's so queen. A stronger repeat of that glorious intro with the arpeggios, more action, and a drum roll that takes us into Freddie's descent into the seven seas of rye. Fear me, you lords and lady preachers. I love that lyric. His voice here is grittier, darker, and quite cheeky. This whole thing is just cheeky and full of attitude. It's perfectly Freddie. He knows he's going to dominate with absolute certainty and confidence. The guitars, the drums, the bass... Rock along so joyously and effortlessly here. Brian scratches on his guitar. Ooh, it's a nice touch. As the first verse concludes, we get that returning piano arrangement. Yes, such joy and enthusiasm. It sparkles. And thus begins my faster running and flying. I put my arms out when I hear this stuff. Into the second verse, more soulful guitars that layer with the existing goodness here. This moment Reminds me of some Doobie Brothers stuff with the same kind of addicting and repetitive energy. So much fun. Panned guitars, cymbals, we fall down the scale and conclude that verse. And then we skip along with more percussion and guitars dancing and the bass prancing. Yes, we're dancing and prancing. That's how this feels. And then we get that wonderful forever and ever and ever except it's an octave higher, and uh, Raj hitting those high notes. Key change. Oh, we're rocking and rolling, and Brian is flying on that solo. It's too short, but it's so fantastic. I love the fade out of it with this echoing riff that goes off into nothingness, and then begins one of my favorite lyrics. Storm the master marathon, I'll fly through. By flash and thunder fire, I'll survive. (laughs) The same energy we've loved the entire time continues on with flair, panache, intention. This is so polished and fun and fabulous. It's like all the joyous energy we had on their debut album and throughout this album is just catapulted into this gorgeous little wrapped up with a bow track. And then that lovely lyric, I challenge the mighty Titan and his troubadours. And that little call to battle from Brian on his guitar that is amazing. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things in the song. Then Freddie closes it out with a smile. I'll take you to the seven seas of Rye. <laughs> and, and as the droning and unrelenting energy of the drums and the bass and the guitars wavers on, I do like to be beside the seaside, fades in and takes over, giving us a glimpse of Freddie's playfulness with violin-like guitars from Brian and a stylophone played by Roy Thomas Baker, producer. This is perhaps, this playfulness in this outro is the perfect lead-in to the coming track, which will kick off album three. That is Seven Seas of Rye. You need to go listen to it. Just listen to it. I know if you've seen the film, you've heard it, but you got to put it on with headphones and take in the fabulousness of this Freddie song, Freddie and Brian's song, if I'm, being, if I'm being honest, and just enjoy it. This is just, it's such a good song. This is Queen in a nutshell. This is joyous, excited, dominating, rock and roll, progressive rock Queen. And it's fun. There's some tracks by Queen that are all out fun. And this is one of them check out Seven Seas of Rye. Check out some live performances and kick it because that's what the guys did on this track and they did it so well. Their first charting single, Seven Seas of Rye, concludes their album Queen 2. I can't believe I'm done with Queen 2. I'm kind of sad. It's one of my favorites, but we're moving on to more sophisticated work in the next album. I'll kick it off next time. Until then, keep yourselves alive. Keep rocking and rolling. And I'll be back next time. Have fun, shiny people.